I think stacking therapies is is so important. You can make chemotherapy work much better with um, a bit of heat, so hypothermia at the same time. Really important to try and get that if you can. Even a heat pad or something on you whilst you're over the area that's being, you know, that you want to treat, whilst you're having chemo can make a, a difference. Um, so it's, it's a matter of just enhancing the therapies that we have. And that's really the point that I want to make with um, what I do is that I'm not totally against the traditional conventional treatments. I think we need to integrate. It is about integration, yes. but we need to look at the dose because the more you have of things, the less of each you need. So you can drop down that dose of chemo right. and you can have all these other integrative approaches and have yeah, some off-label drugs, supplements, exercise, all of that will help boost the effect of what you're trying to achieve. Um, and so you never approach it just with chemo. I would just go against that with everybody. Don't just do the chemo. You have to treat the cancer stem cell at the same time. And I respect what you said, because you said there are a lot of people on this side, the alternative, the integrative side yeah. that will push back completely against chemo when I think we can use it safer, smarter, Safer better. and smarter, absolutely. Yeah. Welcome to the Practicing with Dr. Nathan Goodyear podcast. I'm the medical director at Brio Medical in Scottsdale, Arizona. I am both a conventionally trained and licensed medical doctor as well as a licensed medical homeopathic doctor. This podcast is your resource for a scientific-based discussion of all things cancer and beyond from a natural, holistic, and integrative perspective. It's time to teach the body how to heal. So here we go. Can you starve cancer? Well, it just so happens that I have Jane McClellan, the international best-selling author of a book that carries that title, How to Starve Cancer. So Jane, it is truly an honor. We've been having fun, get to know each other a yeah. little bit. We've done a Facebook Live. Uh, we've done a you know one podcast, and as I told you, you're you're a natural. Uh, you clip onto those short segments very well. So well done, well done. <laughs> but what we wanted to do in this podcast, what I want to do here is, as I mentioned in the first podcast, your story I knew was going to connect. I knew it was going to connect with the heart and the soul. But me being a guy, I just had to find the data. And honestly, as a physician, I needed to see that first. Right. And then when you sold me there, the story was just the icing on the cake. And so what I want to do at this moment, because I could tell in the first, the first, first podcast that we were doing, you were itching to talk science. And there's <laughs> nobody that likes to itch that am, more than me. I'm so, such a nerd. So I'm with that. What, what I say is, you know, we're getting our geek on. Okay. Yeah. So that's what I said with Paul Merrick. And that's what I'm going to say with you. We're going to get our geek on. By the way, okay. you know Paul Merrick as well. I'm not going to call you a big teddy bear like I call him. <laughs> By the way, Paul, if you're listening, that is because you have the biggest heart and you know that and you're my dear friend. He's a so, lovely man. He is a lovely man. And he truly embodies, I think, what it means to be a physician. So let's start off with this quote, though, here, because, again, your your book is really, it's packed with a lot of things that, that resonate with me, and I've been doing this for six years as a medical director, integrative oncology clinic at, at uh, Brio Medical. But these words resonate with me 
and I know they resonate with patients. But this quote, I think, really sums up a lot about you and people that have cancer. Although this will be frowned upon by the establishment, why shouldn't a patient try to save their own life? If they have been told there's nothing more that can be done, why should they have to meekly go home to die? Yeah. You know, I've been there, not quite at the stage four, but I was diagnosed with a pheochromocytoma. So I always tell doctors that come in to see me as patients that you don't really understand what, what the word cancer means. You don't understand the thoughts. You don't understand the emotions. You don't understand that until you sit in that position. And I cannot imagine, and you mentioned this again, I'd like you to say what that doctor told you. And I have doctors, patients that tell me the craziest things that doctors say. In fact, I'd love to write a book on it. It's called The Darnest Things That Doctors Say. I actually had a patient come in that was told her last day alive was going to be October 20th. What? They put an actual date They on put it. an actual date to it. Yeah. I mean, I, I was like stunned. Yeah. She's still alive, but I couldn't believe it. So a doctor is supposed to be one that heals, supposed to be one that teaches, right? Mm. Supposed to be one that gives hope. I can't imagine, what did that doctor tell you? And then how did that make you feel? I was told that um, I wasn't going to survive and that uh, stage four, you generally have a year to live. So um, to me, and, I, and I'd met another doctor who said, oh my goodness, only 4% of patients ever get as bad as you percent well that's nothing is it so you know and it was like okay right so that's it that's I'm your pep definitely talk. definitely a goner um it, it was awful and it's so hard when you have those negative comments it's very hard to dig yourself back up from there because all you can think of the negative comments sit in your brain getting rid of them trying to replace them with positive stuff is really very very hard for patients and it's a, it's a lot of effort and you have to keep going and you have to try and park it as a sort of that doctor didn't know what they were talking about and put it in a little pigeon box and say, I'm doing a different path. I'm not listening to them. Doctors don't know everything. Uh, so you have to try and move into your own direction. Take that, steer that course of your own path to wellness that you need and, and try and avoid those negativity. I mean, it's really uh, it, it, it's. It's a skill, but you kind of need to learn it fairly fast. Um, well, that's the only way to navigate life. That's the only way to nav navigate, I think, life if you have been diagnosed with cancer in the conventional world, mm. even the integrative world. So, you know, when you look at a word like cancer, I would say there's no word that garners more fear yeah. than that word. But here's the interesting thing. They've done studies looking at the immune system and what happens with fear, with emotion, with stress, mm -hmm. with anxiety, and fear is right in there in that kind of fight or flight response. Yeah. And they found that it suppresses innate immunity. It suppresses natural killer cells. It suppresses cytotoxic T lymphocytes. So if somebody with cancer stage four has, you know, a compromised immune system, which at stage four, they clearly do. And often yep. in that stage, it's not only dysfunctional, it is suppressed. And then you want to accelerate the condition. Yeah, why that's not? exactly what yeah. you would do. Why not tell them they're going to die? Yeah. So how? <laughs> before we get into the yeah. rabbit hole of the details, and we'll get our geek on, 
How did you get yourself out of that? I did a lot of meditation. I was meditating three times a day. Um, I had some healing, spiritual healing. I had uh, hypnosis tapes that I was listening to every day. Um, that was my approach and to try and get rid of the negativity, positive affirmations as well to myself every day. It was hard. It was really hard, but I put the effort in. You know, I really did. And people don't know how much effort, because I don't mention it that much. No, in my you book. didn't. That's why I, I yeah, that, it's that's kind why I of like I, I gloss over it a little bit. But actually, that was that was a really hard job for me. And I, you know, I did work very hard at that. That was. Well, uh, and I know you you have an online course, so yeah. go ahead and give a give a plug on that. Okay, it's on Teachable. It's called How to Starve Cancer. You'll find it on my website, which is howtostarvecancer.com. Say she's a natural, but do you talk at all about that? Because what I see when patients come in, as I'm sitting there talking to them, actually listening to them, mm. the first five minutes I can tell who's going to do well and who's not. Now, the the actual definition of what that well, well is, is yet to be determined. But I can tell very, very quickly within minutes yeah. who is going to heal to a degree and who's not. And a lot of it is diving into that exact topic yeah. where if they've been told they're dead and they're gone, I've seen patients, they can't get out of that. Yeah. But you've been able to do that. Is that I've concept, do that. is that in your course? And that's kind of how I try, if I'm talking to somebody one-to-one, -one, I can tell as well. So it's that you pick up on that quite early on in the conversation. It's like, right, this is what I need to do. I need to dig them out of that hole, tell them, no, you're not going to be in that hole. You're going to come out with me. We're going to take you on this path here, not that path there, and try and guide them and actually give them that positive hope that they have actually got a different path to follow. But um, it's not something I delve into that much. I'm, I wouldn't ever claim that that's my forte. What I do in my course is I go through, so one of the, um, one of my, bit of my past is that I created a range of toiletries way back when I was on the sort of UK version oh, yeah, of that. Dragon's Den, which was a horrendous experience. But what, anyway, what's the American version of that? Shark Tank. Yeah, Shark Tank. So I was on the UK version, this is years ago, and this was me trying to leave something behind in the world because I thought I was going to die. So I created this range called Bath Robics, which was just a, a little routine that you do in the bath, a little plastic um, book that sticks on the side. Anyway, through that, I did a relaxation one and I've done a, so I did a kind of a guided um, relaxation meditation and that's, that's in the course. Okay. So I've repurposed that. <laughs> Even though it's meant to be in the bath, you can use it in the bath, you can use it on the bed, doesn't matter. Um, but it's a very soothing, relaxing, stage by stage, just relaxation of the whole body, affirmations and uh, a bit of meditation as well. Well, that's really, really good because in the, in the beginning of the book, um, you basically touch on things, points that patients need to do. And one of them is you say, you know, sleep, and de-stress and, de and the last one don't give up yeah because i think when we as as physicians as the medical community i think if they actually did a you know quote unquote gold standard double blinded randomized placebo controlled trial of patients people that are told they have three months to live i guarantee you at least 60 percent of those patients would die within a week yeah give or take on either side yeah and and so then one has to beg the question, then what's the purpose? 
Exactly. Is it to help them to exit faster? I understand what the purpose was at a point, was to mm. say, hey, let's help you to understand where you are. But guess what? A person with cancer that is spread from a primary site takes cervix that goes to the lung. Mm. Uh, you kind of knew what you were up against, right? Yeah. yeah, although actually some people are still in denial. And this is True. a funny thing. There True. are a lot of people who aren't that aware of just how grim their situation is and just how rapidly their cancer is progressing and they do stick their head in the sand. And sometimes I think maybe, I don't know how to tell people without telling them, if you know what I mean, but it's, oh, yeah. um, uh, it's a tricky one because sometimes you want people to layer extra things in. They're not doing enough, you know, and I, I, and I have to say, right, at this, at this point, you need more treatment. You need to be doing more, and something I determine as a kill phase, which is trying to wipe out those right. fast dividing cells. So chemo is a very crude, blunt instrument, but I, we're talking about intravenous vitamin C as well, and maybe hypothermia on top of some other treatments, or, or maybe a bit of photodynamic therapy, or things that are actually going to help. Yeah, you need to come to my talk in London in December, and I dive into the science about how those things work together. Brilliant. It's brilliant. It's beautiful. And then I talk about Love that. all kinds of stuff. But yeah. anyways, anyway. Fantastic. Can't wait. Yeah. So, um, but all of those, so if you have got, you kind of need to know where you are on the level a little bit, but you know, I think there's ways to tell patients which will destroy their hope and ways to build their hope and say, right, you're here you need to do this and give them options. Options are what people want. They don't want to just be told, you're gonna die, off you go. That's not helpful at all. That's what destructive. You, it's destructive. And it accelerates the process. I think we as physicians, and we've gotten way off target here, but I think this is important, and yeah. that's what I love, the podcast medium, is we need as physicians, and what we need in cancer care today is more constructive. Yeah. Construct hope construct the possibility because without that nothing's possible but with it everything mm. is possible and I would say probable um, so I just wanted to touch on that just a little bit but I wanted to trans transition to to your book and, and it's the point in your book too you know the quote that I mentioned in the beginning of this particular episode was in that chapter 20 where you're transitioning a lot of your journey and the process, you, you've already started to talk about the triangle and everything, but then you start to go, okay, now we're going down the rabbit hole. Mm. And you start really going into the details. And you mention a city that I had never heard of, and you can see I actually wrote out how to pronounce <laughs> it correctly, Plate, Plateo, Plateo. Plateo, Plateo. Okay, that's, that is the United States English version, Plateo, <laughs> and then there is the British formal version and uh, by the way producer do we have any tea and uh what's it scones scones oh yes. scones yeah not scones no no scones not in mexico the eternal the eternal okay. argument whether you say scones or scones okay well i i missed out on that argument so <laughs> it's very english argument that one but, but tell um tell us this story because you say it in here yeah. but i think it has a good uh, transition to the the rabbit hole the deep dive but it, I think it also has a correlative from history to the physiology, the biochemistry of what we're about to talk about. Oh, you're going to go deep into that story. So that's, it's what I'm trying to do is relate how you can overcome a really hard to defeat enemy. And this is something the Greeks worked out. So um, they were invaded many, many times and they devised a way of defeating 
these really so there was a tribe that was almost impossible to get rid of they've done all sorts of things it's a bit like you probably wouldn't know asterix and obelix would you know okay no, right again it. okay. <laughs> it's based on a french story but um it, the comics it doesn't matter but they're they're the ghouls that you could never defeat and um the idea was eventually that they would so they tried all sorts of things and then they'd build the wall a bit higher if this this it was um a city that had very strong fortifications but they tried to get over the wall and then they held fire over and then they, there are all sorts of different ways that they tried and everything they did there was always an answer from the other side so eventually they thought right let's try a completely different approach they surrounded the city wouldn't allow anybody in or out eventually the people inside just didn't have enough food and they started to starve so eventually they came out one by one and they were asked did you support the war did you you know which side are you on and of course that was it slaughtered <laughs> so the uh the, the enemy was defeated but it was a, a matter of starving them out uh, and i think you can do the same thing it's a longer slower process but uh, a completely different approach to getting rid of your cancer and you know it's really interesting the correlative here the connection I, and it didn't occur to me till we were talking earlier on your facebook live was how you know it was the it was the greeks against the uh, spartans right yeah or the spartans versus the greeks was that it was a greek town right and the spartans Ooh. now the exact details okay uh... sorry sorry <laughs> Uh, okay, yeah, so it was one or the myself, other. They were going to one side yeah. on one side, one on the other. But what was happening there? I think it, it was the Spartans were really hard to defeat. Yeah, that's what. That's what I think you're yeah. right. So, uh, so that you know, 300M movie, you know, yeah. ah. so yeah. um, that kind of thing. Remember the Titans? Nope, that's a football movie. Sorry, I got that one wrong. Um, Denzel Washington. But anyways, so was that they understood that their continuous attack was not changing. No, was it, was it, it was providing always an finding a different route to, to, and it's exactly what the cancer cell does. It finds a exactly. different route exactly. to defend itself. So if you try, and, and this is what I demonstrate in my book, and I describe it as my Piccadilly Circus theory of kind of like you block one route to get to Piccadilly Circus, it will just find another route to get back to Piccadilly Circus. So, and you probably don't know where Piccadilly Circus is, but it's in the centre of London. It's got okay. many, many roads coming into it. Oh, it's that. It's, we see it in the movies. Yeah. And so it's not a restaurant, yeah, Piccadilly restaurant. No, 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 no. It's a sort of circus is the ancient Roman word for circle i think or something anyway okay. it's, a, it's like a big roundabout massive roundabout um and and you've got convergence of all these different roads and that's kind of that makes sense yeah that yeah. makes sense so i and i describe it as looking down from an aerial view is a bit how oncologists sort of see cancer with different mutations like the p53 and the kras and the braf and all of these things as being key drivers of cancer, but that's not really what's driving the cancer. It's metabolism. So I say, go to the underground system. Piccadilly Circus is also underground. It's like a central node for different um, of the uh, the underground system. So it's the same thing, but actually fewer routes because anybody can wander around, go different directions. But on the tube, you have to go particular routes, and it's actually easier to block off the routes mm. with the metabolism genes. There can be thousands of different mutations going on. So it's a matter of working out what the key drivers are, the metabolic routes, and there are different routes that cancer will use 
compared to healthy cells. And it's just working out what those are in order to try and block those so that we're actually starving it of what it needs to fuel itself. But when you look at, again, whether it was a Greek or the Spartans, whoever was on the attack, they had, they made the ability to, they, they showed the ability to adapt. Yeah. So they said, okay, this is not working. We need to adapt. And so the way I also extrapolate that out of the biochemistry and the bi uh, biology of cancer, which you did so eloquently in the book and, and right there, was it also shows what medicine needs today. Until we defeat the enemy, cut off all the roads, all the uh, roads that come into the Piccadilly Circus, yeah. and until we do that, until we achieve that for every patient, we must adapt. Yeah. Our goal must be every patient has the opportunity to be healed, to be well, no evidence of disease, not for three years, not for five years, some arbitrarily determined statistical time frame. But for 20, how many years now? Well, so I was stage four in 1999. Okay. So there we go. That's it. You will live. And here's what I tell some patients that, you know what? You are going to live and you will die, but it will not be for cancer. It'll be something that is just old age. One day. Let's get that. And my big point that I think I want to try and make with this approach is that you always need a combination. If you block one route, it'll go around the other route. Best approach is to block both of those routes at the same time. And you can kind of predict sometimes what the cancer is going to do. Yeah. So if you block oxfos, you know it's going to use more glycolysis. If you block the glycolysis, it'll use more oxfos. So that that you know, so it's one's glutamine, one's glucose. So it's kind of like a a, a constant battle of trying to keep the the uh, the levels under control. Yeah, because when you when you when you you know you had some really nice diagrams in here, um, and and all well done, the artistry done well, showing how sequentially we see things, but way the way the body actually works, the way cancer works, uh, sequential need not apply. Oh. As I've mentioned before, it, it's very uh, you know four dimensional, it's very quantum physics esque. Mm. And it's beyond, in a way, it's almost a way, it's beyond our way to comprehend. And so then when we put pathways down, we tend to think that that's the way cancer works. But what you're saying is, no, no, understand for every, for every push, there's going to be an adaptation. For yeah. every pull, the cancer is going to do something. Yeah. There is a infinite number of movements that your treatment may improve and start and you have to understand where that is we have to go down the rabbit hole what we may induce where we may push it yeah. but that can be an advantage and oh. not a negative and the, the point is that if you dive into PubMed and look at the research you can find out what those resistance pathways are so for example Herceptin if you look up Herceptin you'll find that actually it induces something called autophagy normally autophagy would be something that people want but cancer harnesses autophagy to kind of feed itself and this is a double-edged sword in cancer with autophagy and this is one of the the issues that we have because uh, it will just scoop stuff up pancreatic cancer does this as well yeah. um, so we need to block its ability to do that a lot of cancers advanced cancer will use this process but things like um, 
flaxseed oil or the thymoquinone, which is part of flaxseed oil, will actually help block that process. So you can add that, you can add loratadine, which is over the counter, it's claritin, that will also block that scooping up process as well. So that added to your Herceptin will make a much better effect. I was talking to Cherie Skiles, who had her two and she was stage four everywhere and she got herself into remission. She's a long-term supporter of mine. I met her back in about 2017. So this is when I started talking to her. I said, you've got to block the autophagy and she didn't. And it came back and she said, okay, I'm listening now. And then she added these blockers. She, I, you know, I talked about chloroquine to start with. She didn't want to take that. Um, she'd had doxorubicin, she had some heart issues and she said, no, I'm not tolerating it very well. So she ditched that one. And then we added the black seed oil, loratadine, tried her treatment strategy again, boom, back into NED. So no evidence of disease. And she's been clear for, um, for two years, she's been on no traditional treatments at all, none at all. She still takes some off-label drugs and supplements, but you know, I have a lot of patients who have learned this strategy, of actually just looking up and researching and finding out for themselves and then implementing them. Compliance is important. You can't just yeah. sort of say, you know, okay, great. We know that that's, you've got to take the pills. You have to take the pills as well as the lifestyle. You know, I mean, I think it's a, it's, it's a multifaceted approach that you need to take. And it's, it's a big one. Cancer's not just a bit of flu. You know, you just need to, you need to really approach it in a, in a fairly structured way. And I, 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 you know, I had to get really organized with my pills every Friday afternoon. I'd be making little packets for me oh, to yeah. take out so that I could actually go and live my life. Otherwise you're tied to the kitchen or you're, you know, these are these people who do the Gerson therapy or, yeah. you know, they, they are totally tied to the kitchen. I, you know, I'm sitting here looking at, you know, Jane McClellan. It's like, where's the letters after your name? <laughs> I, don't, I don't see any. The, the point here is Granted, you, you are knowing, used to be MCSP. you know, yeah, the point is you're not MD. No, you're I'm not, not an MD. DO, you're not ND. You are an empowered individual that had cancer and you have dived into the science. So the point is you don't have to have a medical degree to walk into a doctor's office and know the science. I mean, you're, you're, you're talking about very difficult, detailed um, pathways, but you're doing so as if we're talking about the sunshine outside. Mm. I mean, so you as patients can be empowered and that's the reason why teaching is so important. That's why in these podcasts, we don't want to just, you know, touch the surface, skim the surface. We want to dive deep because I believe that you have the power to understand this. People are smart. I think medicine looks at the general public and doesn't give them enough um, credit to their intelligence. I believe you're smart. I believe you're intelligent. And you can take this deep, detailed information and look what Jane's done with it. She's now actually helping other people to heal. And you know the phrase I like to quote, hope it forward. She's hoping it forward through empowerment of knowledge. Yeah. And that's pretty amazing. So let's. Yeah. And actually, I taught myself. Nobody taught me this. Oh, yeah. I had to do everything myself. Yeah, I'm point. kind of like giving people. I've learned it and then I've sort of translated it into, into sort of hopefully a slightly more structured format so that people can actually learn it themselves. Yeah. And, and again, there's <coughs> so many places we can take this, but 
you know, you get that big U2 concert coming up, so I gotta make sure that your voice is ready to sing. <laughs> yes. But um, let's make a transition here and talk about the hallmarks of cancer because you, know, you talk about that in here and I want you to talk about your uh, McClellan moonshot and, and we'll go through each one of those a little bit just to talk about some, some awareness, some knowledge, and then some maybe focus points of what to focus on there, what to do. But you know, when you look at the hallmarks of cancer, and I told you earlier that <coughs> the idea that medicine can't change is not true. Mm. It's just slow to change. It's very slow. It and sometimes takes... that's good, yeah. but sometimes it's really bad. <coughs> see, you know, see Galileo, you know, he said, no, actually guys, the, everything rotates around the sun, not the earth. They said, you're wrong. That was an inquisition. So they threw him in jail and, and some of them yeah. wanted to kill him. So it's not, it's not that they are slow to change, assuming that they won't change, but sometimes they're slow to change. But back in the year 2000, Douglas Hannon and, uh, and Weinberg actually came up with the five hallmarks of cancer. And that was a huge, huge adjustment because prior to that, really the, the one hit hypothesis, yeah. the somatic mutation theory is what dominated. And this really, I think, began to push us into a new arena of understanding of what cancer is and where cancer is. And it was, you know, your time and your experience was actually before that. Now they've gone on to publish subsequent articles in 2011 and 2022, expanding on that. Yeah. But it, you know, you have your own hallmarks of cancer, I your do. moon shots. Yes. Your so what shots. I've done, so they, they missed out the metabolism, right. which was, recognized by Warburg batting, you know, in the 1930s. 20s. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and completely ignored that. So that's come back in. And then the immunity as well. Uh, and then they've now added the abnormal microenvironment as, as another hallmark as well. So all of these things are looking at a more holistic approach to not just the sort of cancer cells, but the entire environment around the cancer as well. Yeah. That... That's, we know that's how cancer starts with changes in the tumor microenvironment and that's kind of my cell signaling is kind of what happens when you get those effects on the surface of the cell membrane and what then fires into the cell or how things affect the internal structure of the cell what changes the mitochondria which are these little energy houses in the cell what makes them turn off and why do you get more glycolysis which is this fermentation which you get in the cytoplasm rather than making energy in these mitochondria because this is a switch and this is what happens in cancer. Yeah, what I tell people about cancer, Jane, is that really if you look at cancer in the early phases, it's a cell's attempt to adapt yeah. to an inhospitable environment, series of insults, inhospitable environment, whether that be decades, years, whatever. In the short term, you can see how that would be advantageous. Mm. Wow, that's great. That cell can survive because it pivots here, pivots there and adjusts. And that's what our body has that plasticity, that adaptability that it's called. But what happens in cancer then as it starts to evolve, starts to you know add on things like mutations, the, the metabolic derangement starts to grow. And yeah. we start to get all of these alterations that really become like a snowball. We have this thing in the United States, uh, you know, snowball rolling downhill. And, and that's what kind of happens. It just mm. takes a life of its own and it becomes something called cancer. But you focused on five hallmarks of cancer. 
your, your moonshots, because you really wanted, to, I think, to provide some structure there of understanding. Is that, yes, is that correct? Yes, it, it was, and to try and make some, um, to split it out. So you've got all these hallmarks. How does it start? How do you end up with this fast dividing cell? So I'm trying to create an understanding of the tumor environment, how that kickstarts the abnormal metabolism in the cell. That's really my sort of metro map, which people recognize. And then how that stimulates with all the lactate that's being produced by this glycolysis process, um, which is the fermentation of sugar. That changes the environment around the cell, makes it acidic. Cancer, well, your blood, your body doesn't like it. it, hates all this lactate being around. And actually the, the blood vessels are created to try and carry it away. But of course it carries more nutrients to the- That's um, called angiogenesis. Angiogenesis. Beautiful, so, yeah. beautiful connection there, by the way. Yeah, and then, so you get this angiogenesis and also the lactate switches off the immune system. The, the cancer cell uh, cells, the immune cells, don't like the acidic environment and they change from assisting to fight the cancer to actually promoting the cancer. These macrophages, which are immune cells, really uh, promote and, and help hide the cancer from your own immune cells, from the ones that are gonna attack it, like the natural killer cells and the T cells. So you're describing the metabolic issues of cancer that then start to, uh, you know, a lot of what's happening there is mutations that are coming out of that. Mutations are not the cause of, they are the effect of. Yeah. But then what, what's happening there is you're describing how it's starting to connect to the immune system. Yeah. So let, let's touch on these five hallmarks, and at least from the book, and you said you've kind of changed a little bit, but they are abnormal cell signaling, they are abnormal cell metabolism, abnormal growth factors, abnormal immune response, and then fast cell metabolism. So let's go through them one by one. Yeah. I think you said the first one, the abnormal cell signaling, it's, it's a little bit really, different. Well, it's really as a result of the tumor microenvironment and the effect that has on the cell. Um, so there are different things that can trigger this change and toll-like receptors are one that gets, all cancer cells will have something called toll-like receptors oh, yeah. activated. And these are ancient pathogen receptors. So they get turned on upregulated, if you like. Pattern recognition receptors. Yeah, pattern recognition. And they, they, they recognize different, so things from bacteria or fungi mm -hmm. or parasites, right. whatever, and this triggers a response. And it's a good response. You know, generally, you want this response to be activated because that gets your immune system in and you can um, activate that more with LDN, which is low-dose naltrexone, and yeah. also CBD. So those two are really good for, and it's, you know, because this is critical at the tumor microenvironment stage, I think CBD is one of the best things you can take. Oh, I love CBD. Now, let me tell you what, you get me started on CBD. If you just watch uh, the webinar I did on IV CBD, talking about the pharmacokinetics, the pharmacodynamics, and those kind of things, you can find that on YouTube. So I encourage you to check that out because the problem when you look at some of these therapies is, for example, curcumin. There's probably not a broader, better ripple effect to treat cancer than curcumin. I would say CBD's right there behind that. The problem is when you take it orally, the bioavailability of these products is so low. For yeah. example, the bioavailability of CBD is 6%, but then when you give it IV, now we can't do that with everything, obviously, you 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 all of a sudden take away that limitation and it becomes 100%. Yeah. But what you've been able to do by focusing on the abnormal cell signaling that occurs within the the tumor microenvironment, 
you've been able to actually help people empower yourself and empower others to actually do it orally. Mm. So they're, they're actually doing the things that we're pushing to do IV because people are in such dire straits. You're actually helping people to do that oral well, by I'm mouth. Well, I'm hoping I get to the same active well, level. Well, you did it yourself and you are. Yeah, you well, said you get, you get reports back from people <laughs> all the time. There you I go. I do. But, you, you know, are. it's always a complex picture. And, and the more you add the kind of, I'm not saying people should take a vast amount of things, but there Correct. are people who do. Um, but, you know, I mean, you have to kind of get these basics right. LDN, CBD, brilliant. And then you'd so say you've got those going on, these toll-like receptors, but you've also got cytokines. These are inflammation markers. So you've got interleukin-1 and interleukin-6, and oh, these yeah. are a, a big potential problem. Um, and these are what did those two things actually drive either a pathway called nuclear factor kappa beta or STAT3. Um, and these are the ones that either upregulate the glycolysis, which is that fermentation, or the oxfos, which is the mitochondria production of ATP. That's where you get the balance of one or the other. This is my theory, okay? So that it's either one pathway stimulated more or the other. I think the nuclear factor kappa beta regulates the glycolysis a little bit, how much glycolysis is happening in the cell. Um, so those need to be attacked. You need to block those pathways. They're kind of upstream, if you know what I mean. They are really big pathways that you oh, need yeah. to block. Um, and there are some great things that you can take to block both of those things. So berberine and red yeast rice together block interleukin-6 quite nicely. Um, you've got ivermectin, you've got dipridamol. All of those things will actually help um, reduce the interleukin-6, interleukin one, you've got curcumin, you've got fish oils, all of the anti-inflammatories like that are brilliant. Berberine and um, boswellia as well, all very anti-inflammatory. Mostly you're talking those. about supplements, herbal products. I mean, yeah. you, you're, you're not really talking, I know you, a lot of what you do is repurpose medication and we use that as well at Brio, but you know, you're, a lot of this is herbal supplements. Oh yeah, and, and, and that's what get it on that's Amazon. powerful, yeah, and which, you know, you got to dose it right, which is always a big thing that, you yeah. know, when doctors say, well, how do you know that's dosed right? Well, yeah. fair enough. That's a good question. It is a very good question. Because if we want to empower patients yeah. to take something like boswellia, curcumin, quercetin, vitamin D, whatever, we need to make sure that we're helping and empowering them through mm -hmm. knowledge, through teaching, yeah. to do that in a right way so that yeah. hopefully the doctors go, wow, who, who, who wrote this book? I need to find out <laughs> more See, about I'm not, that. I'm not a doctor and I'm not there to be able to give people doses. I can't do that. So right. I do report back what doctors say or their kind of, so oh, I do. I, can. Sort of, <laughs> I know, I do. you can. <laughs> I do think that people don't take enough fish oils. I'm a, a big Agreed. proponent of fish oils because this is all part of creating the cell membranes. So the, the cancer is constantly dividing, creating these new cell membranes. Omega-3s would be the best fat to actually use because actually you can make these cell membranes disintegrate a little bit easier if they're made out of omega-3. Whereas if it's making out of corn oil, palm oil, um, all of these bad oils, sunflower oil, you get more resistant cancer stems, um, cell membranes so that you can't get the treatments in so well. So if you've got a very bad diet, and you're eating a lot of palm oil, and that's in everything, 
you know everything it's, it's, processed basically yeah anything processed palm oil will be in it it's uh, it's a big problem so all of the processed foods will mean that your cancer uh, your cancer cell membranes will be more resistant to treatment so i think omega-3 absolutely critical from the word go try and get more omega-3 into your uh, into your diet but what you're also saying there is that nutrition is foundational to therapy absolutely because i mean the best way to get omega-3 is you know through yeah. your diet, obviously, it's the yeah. best way. So the second one is, you know, really kind of tying into the starving, of course, cell signaling, but this is uh, cell metabolism, abnormal cell metabolism. So, you know, so kind of explain that a little bit for the listeners and the viewers, but then also give kind of just some uh, quick takeaways, if you could, of something that they could think about, about how they might target the cell metabolism, potentially, of what cancer is doing against them. Okay, so cell metabolism really a revving up of the um, the activity of the cell because it's constantly wanting to divide. So a cell is made up of protein in the middle and fat as a membrane around the outside. As it splits, it needs to make new DNA, needs to make new membranes, needs to make more protein in the middle. So it's constantly creating new protein and uh, fat yeah. and this is a big problem because you know it needs to constantly fuel itself it gets the glucose to drive those processes as the sort of the energy the glucose will also help to make the fat uh, so it's, it's a constant process and cancer revs up all the machinery inside in order to create these new daughter cells so that's the problem and it wants to feed itself it's constantly hungry and that's what people really need to grasp hold of and really take the take home message is cancer is hungry and you need to starve it it doesn't like it when it's starved the other thing it doesn't like is oxygen but another big thing that it doesn't like is actually being deprived of its fuel and you know the the, the problem there is that word metabolism i think to a lot of people will provide a thought process that's related to being overweight. So they think about, well, if I'm my metabolism is slow, I, my weight's too high. What, what, what we're talking yeah. about here with metabolism is just simply how the cells make energy to be able to do the day-to-day -day operations that they need to do. Yeah. Cancer is, you know, people go, cancer is a parasite. Well, no, there are parasites that cause cancer. The World yep. Health Organization rec you know, defines that, liver flukes, you know, yep. cholelangiocarcinoma. So that is reality. Uh, but at the same time, cancer behaves like a parasite. It grows rapidly. And in fact, when you look at viruses, so, you know, last pandemic, we won't go there, but what do viruses, yeah, you chuckle because we could go there and then we could get shadow banned. We could go there and we get canceled. But you know where I stand on that. I've talked about that enough. But what does a virus do? It grows very fast. Yeah. What does a virus do? It must evade the immune system. What does a virus do? It replicates, it spreads. Take away virus, that's cancer. That is abnormal cell metabolism. And and, and so that's your second point. So what what are some therapies that you would suggest people look into as it relates to possibilities of, of what they can do. Yeah, so you need to be blocking that fermentation, that glycolysis that's going on. 
uh, and you can do that from the point that the glucose gets into the cell because glucose is fueling that process. So there's something called the GLUT receptor, which is the glucose receptor, and you can block that, and quercetin is very good at blocking that. And then you can block it all the way through. There are different enzymes that it uses in the glycolysis process, but things like fermented wheat germ, mm -hmm. melatonin, oh, yeah. uh, something called DCA and 2DG oh, yeah. you can get hold of. A lot of doctors, and I don't know whether you give it intravenous. We have a hard time DDG. getting that in the U.S. Okay. Uh, dichloroacetate, DCA, yep. big, big fan of that. Yeah, yep. 2DG, we do have an issue getting that. Right, and even things like cinnamon will help enormously as well. You know, it's interesting you talk about the glute receptors, um, and there's many of them. Uh, but you know that's the that's the receptor, the portal inside the cell yeah. of vitamin C. Yeah. And so cancer upregulates that because is it of its high metabolic demand. But let me connect it to something else here that you talk about in your book, the glute receptor. The glute receptor is connected to Crass mutation. And so when that mutation, and so then it's almost like it becomes a cycle of its own of, you know, just decline where the metabolic dysfunction promotes a mutation that then will promote the crass mutation, say that's one, that then turn around promotes more glute upregulation and all of a sudden these processes feed on each other and that's how they, in maybe in a finite way of thinking about it, that's how this process of cancer uh, can really take off. But you yeah, mentioned something earlier. Cycle. You talked about, you know, we can go into the different components of the aerobic glycolysis and oxidative phosphorylation and and all those things and, and completely lose everybody that I we're know, talking to. But it's like metabolism is feeding. It's the way it feeds itself. Yeah. So the Insulin? glutamine is another thing. Oh, that that's a good point. Okay. So, you know, glutamine is um it's a pro it's an amino acid. Yes it is. So instead of glucose, the cancer can use glutamine. Um and this fires up the oxphos pathway a little bit. It's in uh, there alpha ketoglutarate yep. part. Yes. So there are these other pathways that can be blocked too, and fat actually can be converted. See, now, now you're so. just blowing people's minds. Okay, I can see the the <laughs> the, 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 the pillows of mushrooms I know. Of clouds coming. And they're going <laughs> to say, "How the heck do you starve your cancer if you?" And the the key is to block the the receptors on the cell that feed that stuff in. So the glucose receptor key, you've got to block that. There's actually um, the lactate receptor. So the the lactate that's made by this fermentation then gets taken up by its neighbor. So once pumping it out, once pulling it in, you can actually block the lactate receptor with something called harataki. How well it blocks it, I don't know, but it definitely does block it. Uh, and you can buy that on Amazon. So, you know, there are things that you can definitely buy. Green tea will block the glutamine transport. Cause, like your green tea over there that yeah, you Yeah, that in. I've, yeah. He didn't like the taste. Look, no, look, I, I, I drink green tea only because I know I have to, not because I like it. <laughs> so, um, but green tea is great for blocking the glutamine receptor. People get so worried about, oh, I've got, how can you block glutamine? Okay, you can't really stop glutamine in your system. You can reduce it. There is actually a drug called phenylbutyrate, which some doctors get amazing results for treatment for triple negative breast cancer, for example, which is really driven by amino acids as well as glycolysis. Very aggressive. So when you look at the aggressive tumor types, histological mm. types, you know, and, and, and this is also, I think, a key component of what, what you're discussing there. And I think very, very important is that, you know, some cancer types will drive heavy on sugar. Yeah. Some will 
drive heavy on all three. Some will drive heavy with iron. Some will drive heavy with copper. And and so yeah. I think the key here is not to say, oh my gosh, I need to be taking a hundred things. Because sometimes uh, patient supplements and medication yeah. lists they come with, that's what they're looking at. <laughs> okay, I'm going, uh, okay. The point is, what does that particular patient with that exactly. particular kind of cancer what need to be on? What do they need to be on? Exactly. exactly. And it's trying to whittle down to try and teach the cancer patient what those key drivers are and what to really focus on yeah. the dominance of those pathways. You know, is it really feeding mostly on glucose? Um, and, and to be and honest, there's ways what, to help determine yeah, this. Yeah, you can. I mean, yeah, I, I need to create more tools, I think, to help people with this. But it is a matter of understanding that most cancer cells will be driven. So they start with more glycolysis. Mm -hmm. And sure. as they progress, they start to use more glutamine and they can become glutamine addicted further on. It's just like you look at ovarian cancer, that's exactly what it does. And many other cancers do that. And they use more glutamine. So the more aggressive they are, Yes, they use more glucose, but they are also using more glutamine. And some of them use the fat a lot, like prostate cancer, which is slightly different. It actually, and I think it might be something to do with the zinc in, uh, in the cells or something. But anyway, they, um, they use more of the oxphos, which is the glutamine side more. And when they're castration resistant, which is later down the line, then they Shift. use more glycolysis, which is the opposite way around, which, which is interesting. Well, but that's a brilliant point because we've talked about trying to take a longer, slower, gent uh, gentler road in a way on the treatment of cancer because when you have that prostate cancer that's still responsive to hormones, yeah. that is primarily being driven through the oxidative phosphorylation pathway, you can slowly, you know, in lack of a better term, nick away at it, slowly mm. turn the tide. But when you just go in with that shock and awe, as I mentioned, and then you just throw everything at it, hit upside the head, don't knock it out. Yeah. Don't take care of those cancer stem cells, which can adapt. Now, cancer was a beast. Now it's a beast times 10. Mm. Now it's stage four. Now it doesn't really respond. So I, I think what you're saying there, what I'm hearing is, work in the metabolism yeah. because there you can work before things really just break. Yep. They just break and fall apart. Yeah. But even when it gets to that stage, there are still things that you can take or still alternative routes that you can take uh, to try and help um, reverse the problem, even, even when it's stage four. And even in, when it's not just stage four of your first cancer, but when it's your second, second. cancer. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And again, that's... Um, Again, hats off to you, hats off to you. Um, the third one is abnormal growth factors. Now, you know, when you look at abnormal metabolism, cell signaling, growth factors, they're really kind of all working together. They are. Uh, but they, they are have, separate categories. Yeah, well, but they then have an effect on the cell membrane and, you know, the, the they, um, it all merges into sort of, you know, I try and do it in a linear, just be, from a teaching aspect. Sure. I kind of do one thing and then just teach them that if the lactate, if you've got an acidic area, then you get the, um, these new vascular, the new vascular growth. Yeah. Uh, and then, um, you know, and then you get the switching off of the immune system. But there are other growth factors like platelet-derived growth factor, the transforming growth factor beta. These are all 
factors that will switch off the immune system or drive resistance. You know, and a lot of um, cancers are really driven by growth factors, colorectal sarcomas. Oh, yeah. And the interconnectivity, because transforming growth factor beta is involved in immunosuppression within yeah. the tumor microenvironment. Yeah. Uh, and guess who makes that? Uh, macrophages. You know, here, here was a, so the point here is these hallmarks are, I think, very useful in categorization and teaching, which, yeah. again, I applaud you for what you're doing. You're empowering patients to, to, to have the ability to hope to heal. But they're interconnected, so don't think of them just in you know block isolation. They yeah. they definitely aren't uh, interrelated. You said um, in a quote here from your book, it is the migration of cancer to areas like the brain, liver, and lungs that almost always kills. It's not the primary site. Now that that concept is called oncotropism, where cancer just likes to go. Yeah. Certain cancers just like to go certain places, yeah. breast to bone, to yeah, you know, to lung, to bone. exactly the same way. They so, all love the bone, so, those three anyway. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. And, and when things go to bone, the conventional cancer oncologist will tell you that basically there's not much that can be done there. Um, so, but with that understanding that it, there's particular directions that it likes to go and that quote you have there from your surgery, I think it also helps us to understand through this understanding of growth factors, how to mitigate this. Mm. So if breast cancer likes to invade and grow and spread, then how do we mitigate that through the growth signaling? You touched on this earlier, I think it was on the Facebook Live, talking about surgery, things that you could do in and around surgery to prevent yes. spread. And yes. this is in that, this is tied into this because totally. surgery, chemo and radiation, if you check out my podcast, uh, Practicing with Dr. Nathan Good, your podcast, I talk about the unholy trinity of those three therapies because they all cause metastasis. Mm. But, but surgery, you were highlighting how there are things to do that we can work within that growth signaling process and help to prevent that. So yeah. give me some examples of, you know, I'm putting so, you on the spot there. Okay, so propranolol is oh. fantastic as, a, not everybody can take it, but propranolol will actually block um, something called MMPs. Now these um, these things are enzymes that break down around the matrix of the cancer and allow the cancer cell to break off and spread. Propranolol will actually help block that <clears throat> and also reduce stress. So it's a fantastic thing to have. If you're going to have surgery, try if you can to get propranolol. There's a lot of research to show if you take that before you have breast cancer surgery, your chances of it spreading afterwards are much lower. Same with a statin, and it's the anti-inflammatory um, part of the statin. Um, it's not just about reducing cholesterol, it's the anti-inflammatory part, which has a beneficial effect, interestingly, on the immune system with uh, blocking glucose. So the glucose and the cholesterol together have some effect on the, um, on the immune cells. So you're actually trying to keep the immune cells from being reversed. You have this suppression of the good uh, immune cells in, in your tumor, and then you have bad immune cells are uh, allowed to flourish. So it's, it's trying to get the right combination of these two, and propranolol, actually going back to that, is very good at trying to keep that reversal um, under control. So she didn't see my notes, by the way, but you know, I was looking here at uh, matrix metalloproteinases. Okay? Right. Those are, they're zinc-containing endopeptidizes. Really yeah. they're, they're incredibly important. 
And there's ways to target that with repurposed medications yeah. and supplements. Doxycycline, very good. And Absolutely. mebendazole. Absolutely. Um, so I love mebendazole. It hits so many targets along the route, you know. it's It starts a, a, something called hedgehogs around the outside of the cell. Again, it sort of blocks that and then it's blocking some of the glute receptors, the glucose receptors. And then it also works on some of the, the, these um, MMPs, these breaking down of the enzymes. Then it works a bit like vincristine which is um, a chemo drug. So again, right. it's working on the fast dividing cell and it helps obviously with the immune cell as well because it's an anti-parasitic. It'll clear out some of the parasites that may be causing a problem and may be suppressing your immune system. And the side well. effect profile is Very low. so low. Yeah. Uh, if you prescribe a month's supply in the United States, it's about $17,000. But if you, I, I, no, I, I kid you not. It's, is that, I mean, that is stupid. Yes. But then you order it from another country, won't say where from, it'll cost you about 40 bucks. Yeah. You can get it in the UK, over the counter. Really? And it's cheap. Yeah. See, I, I just do not understand what. Yeah. Well, I think we understand. I think you understand. But I can't, you know, in, in the UK, my, my suitcase is full of cimetidine and melatonin right now. <laughs> Okay, I so. stock up whenever I come over here, <laughs> you know, it's it's I, the other way around. I just find that interesting that yeah. cimetidine, you can't get there as nope. well. So, um, well, let's let's talk, jump into the fourth one because, you know, we could spend an hour on each one. And uh, we want to be respective of your time and respect of your time. Because, uh, again, you got that U2 com concert upcoming. Um, I know you're super excited about it. I am. It's awesome. U2 so. at the Sphere, I'm told it is phenomenal oh i bet it is i bet mm. it is um i could sing you but i will not do that i want you to listen and share this <laughs> not turn it off because i sang but abnormal immune response you know this is one that is my baby my baby right um you know there was this organization if you recall best answer best answers for cancer yeah yeah did some great thing by the way we it is resurrecting. It okay? is. I'm on. I'm, yeah. I'm on one of the board members. I'm one yeah. of the board members there. So no, that is resurrecting. Just so for right. your nerve. February. Are you there? Yes. Okay. February. February next yeah. year. Okay. Yeah. Uh, down there, I think with Annie Appleseed. Yeah. Um, so that's super exciting. Yeah. But then what I what I tell patients is like, look, the best answer to cancer is the obvious. Don't get it. Mm. But beyond that, the best answer for cancer it is the immune system. Mm. And you've touched on this already so many times. Let me lay the game plan, if you will, as it relates to this. What cancer does is cancer doesn't create anything anew. I think the, the biggest myth to my editor, my producer over there, the biggest myth about cancer is that cancer is some foreign body implanted in your body. It is not some bad Sigourney Weaver Alien 25. It is your cells. It's a very abnormal form of it, but it is your cells. It doesn't create anything anew when it becomes an entity. It misuses and adulterates what's there. And the immune system is the perfect example of that because it attracts the immune system to it. You've already alluded to this. And then it turns the immune system on the immune system. And you talked about yeah. The macrophages, the tumor-associated macrophages. So let's hone They're in on that one. Guys. Let's hone in on that yeah. one as it relates to this, because sure. I think it's something people can understand a little bit without, you know, if we get deep into the weeds, you know, mm. I love IL-6, absolutely love it. 
toll-like four receptors. I'm getting giddy. It's like Christmas <laughs> all over again, you know, but tumor-associated macrophages, yeah. talk about those because I think they, those are critical. They are critical and they have like they have a protective kind of fibrin coating as well, which makes them quite hard to get rid of and for your natural killer cells to sort of get in. And, and, and a lot of people take enzymes at high dose. I don't know whether this is something you use in your practice. Um, I took high dose enzymes. I know people who've actually reversed their cancer from just doing pancreatic that. Enzymes. Pancreatic yeah. enzymes and things like that, just to try and eat away a little bit at the fibrin. You don't take the enzymes when you're eating. You actually wait and you have them between meals. Uh, you you have high dose enough to sort of flood your body a little bit, and that that will help break down that fibrin coating um, around the cells. And that's kind of a strategy which I haven't talked about much in my book, but it is something that I did as well. Um, but these immune cells are rampant. You can have 50% of the tumor can be made up with these macrophages. They're a big part. And that's at a tumor microenvironment. It's all total part. And it's all part of the tumor. The cancer cells on the middle of what people used to focus on, now they realize it's the immune cells, it's the stroma, it's the fibroblasts, everything has an effect on those cancer cells. The tumor microenvironment, really important to understand that. And I reversed, the other thing I did was reversed the effect of the natural killer cells and the macrophages, turning the macrophages from being pro-tumor to anti-tumor. That's type two to type one. Yeah, I did that using somatidine, which we just mentioned. Yeah. So, um, but I didn't do it straight away. I actually waited until I was kind of got rid of the cancer and then I, then I did it. But I, you know, I was worried I was coughing all the time. And this is, of course, I've got cystic fibrosis. I didn't know at the time, I have a late diagnosis with that. But I, um, I always thought my immune system was severely depressed because I kept on coughing and having these problems and actually, you know, and that's one of the reasons I took um, somatidine. I was worried about bird flu yeah. back in about 2007 and well, thought that's I was back a little bit, yeah. that's going back a bit. But anyway, so um, I, I was worried about that. And I took somatidine at quite high dose, 400 milligrams in the morning, 400 at night for about three months. And that seemed to turn my immune system back on again. Yeah. And that's, you know, what you're talking about with the tumor-associated macrophages, these are, macrophages are a normal part of your immune system, but again, they get attracted to this, this environment. And what we know, there's a lot of complexity to that, whether that be the low oxygen, the normal oxygen, even the iron content. And, and again, getting the geek on, check out the webinar I did previously talking about iron metabolism and as that relates to hypoxia and oxia and how that affects the immune system here, particularly with the, mac the macrophages. But once these macrophages get recruited to the tumor microenvironment, that environment manipulates them to become a immune cell that favors them, that actually turns on the rest of the immune system. And what's interesting, we're now discovering this also applies to neutrophils or tumor associated neutrophils. And they go oh. by the same classification. Right. And we now know that they're involved in even what's called netosis, which are neutrophil extracellular traps. But the point is, is as we learn more information, we understand how abnormal immune function is critical to the tumor microenvironment and to yeah. the process of cancer. And what you're able to lay out in this book is specific mechanisms of how people yeah. can grab a hold of that and go after it. Yeah. And then the last of your fast, last of your hallmarks was 
fast cell metabolism. And, and here's a quote from your book. Fast division is the last event to occur in the steps leading to transformation. These fast dividing cells are the progeny of the stem cells, but uh, of stem cells, but not stem cells themselves. And I love this quote. If you kill too much of the tumor without a, with a high dose of chemotherapy, this provides lots of potential nutrients for the remaining stem cells, reducing both together in a controlled fashion must surely be the best approach. Too, of, too often I see patients killed by too much chemotherapy. You know, people look at cancer and they think the fast dividing nature is upfront first and, and, and foremost. Mm. And what you're saying here in this quote is cancer it's not. stem cells are the, the root cause of metastasis. And metastasis is what kills 80% of patients. So, right. you know, and that's what you need to look at. And get rid of the cancer stem cells whilst you're getting rid of those fast dividing cells. Correct. Take maybe a lower dose of chemo. We'll try insulated, potentiated chemotherapy. That's right. So you can try different approaches to maybe lowering the chemotherapy and you starve the cancer cell at the same time. That's going to help get rid of that cancer stem cell. Everything on my Metro map, little map I have in my book, is all about starving the cancer stem cell. Everything on that map has an effect on the cancer stem cell because it's hungry. It actually swells up to about four times normal size of the other cells before it divides. So that's it's always wanting to build up and create and create and create and then split. So it's uh, it's hungry and that's what you do. Starve it. So you do that alongside other effects, which is my kind of kill phase effect, which is more pro oxidation. So oxidizing or creating oxygen environment to kill off the cancer. Cancer really hates oxygen. And that's kind of like the last part is oxygenate and actually kill it off. Well, thank you for touch, touching on the low-dose metronomic chemo, insulin potentiated therapy. These are varying forms of just basically taking a, a, a full dose of a big piece of wood upside the head <laughs> and, and saying, well, let's, let's lower this dose down and actually broaden the anti-cancer effects. There was actually a beautiful study that was looking at cancer stem cells. Mm. And, and what triggers them to induce increase in daughter cells. So where they start to become new uh, malignant cells rapidly dividing, they found that with a rapid reduction in tumor burden, so they come in with full dose chemo and just knock 100% down to 20%. 20% was that magic mark in this cell culture study right. where all of a sudden that triggered the stem cells to start mutating mutating aggressively. So when you go after full dose chemo, yeah. it is destructive both to the cancer, of course it is, it is destructive and lays waste yeah. to your body yeah. and it accelerates cancer stem cells. But low dose metronomic chemo, insulin potentiation, some do, some don't. I, I just be honest, some of the research out there on insulin and IGF-1 concerns me. Mm. a lot. And so for me, when you look at the literature on low-dose metronomic chemo, it really shows that the biggest benefit is there. And so what we can then do is with things like CBD, with melatonin, with even things like procaine, repurposed medications, yeah. we cannot concern ourselves with the insulin, metabolically attack it, 
on that level, yeah. but not give it mm. and, and potentially, potentially. I just don't know that we need to do that anymore, but you can check us out. We'll be at the Greening with Cancer in London, and we'll be talking about all of that. So check us out there in December of 2023 where we talk about that. Um, so, so rapidly dividing cells are not the last thing, but then you talk about, you know, not, not setting the stage for cancer to become something that is untreatable. Yep. And you're doing that by stacking the therapies together. I think stacking therapies is, is so important. You can make chemotherapy work much better with um, a bit of heat. So hypothermia at the same time, really important to try and get that if you can, even a heat pad or something on you whilst you're over the area that's being, you know, that you want to treat whilst you're having chemo can make a, a difference. Um, so it's, it's a matter of just enhancing the therapies that we have. And that's really the point that I want to make with um, what I do is that I'm not totally against the traditional conventional treatments. I think we need to integrate. It is about integration, yes. but we need to look at the dose because the more you have of things, the less of each you need. So you can drop down that dose of chemo right. and you can have all these other integrative approaches and have, yeah, some off-label drugs, supplements, exercise, all of that will help boost the effect of what you're trying to achieve. Um, and so you never approach it just with chemo. I would just go against that with everybody. Don't just do the chemo. You have to treat the cancer stem cell at the same time. And I respect what you said, because you said there are a lot of people on this side, the alternative, the integrative side yeah. that will push back completely against chemo when I think we can use it safer, smarter, Safer better. and smarter. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, you know, what we have to remember is a high dose of chemo will destroy cancer stem, uh, cancer cells, all of them. But then it lays sort of kind of waste to everything. So you've got debris kicking around in the area and the cancer stem cells go, oh, yum, yum, yum. I'll just gobble those up. Thanks. So it's very lazy. The cancer stem cell, if it's got a like a receptor on the surface for pulling in little chunks of DNA. DNA is quite hard for it to make through something called the pentose phosphate pathway. But if it can just pull in a little bit of nucleoside straight in, that's you know, it'll do that as well. So there's, um, that's why dipridamol is really good um, for also blocking that, like recycling of the nucleosides, particularly after chemo or with chemo, if you can give dipridamol at the same time, you can see that it has quite effect and it's stopping that recycling, that pulling in of little chunks of DNA. Well, you've done more than just write it. You've obviously experienced it. And, um, you know, we could go on for, for, for hours about this, but you know, one last quick question, but because what we're doing here is we've highlighted the abnormal cell signaling, which she basically updating that to include the tumor microenvironment, which is absolutely correct, abnormal cell metabolism, abnormal growth factors, abnormal immune response, and then fast cell metabolism. Why did you call it moonshot? Moonshot, <laughs> that's going back to, who was it that first said, was it Biden first? No, it wasn't, no, it wasn't, who was it? Who said, I don't know, who said, somebody used the moonshot? Somebody, yeah, somebody okay. said, it was a, an American used the term moonshot um, as kind of like, we need to aim for the okay. moon to try, you know, and um, came out with this. So I thought, okay, right, my moonshot would be, and then I came out with a sort of a list of things that I really, really wanted to sort of target in order to 
get to that and I'm sure we can I'm sure if we can um, block the abnormal cell metabolism you know stop it growing and then you know give it some oxygen snuff it out that's where we'll actually be you know I, I use just a slightly different vernacular there I tell them to reach for the moon yeah you never know what you can achieve you never know try to achieve you, something big yeah so you know we've been here with a best-selling international author, How to Starve Cancer, with Jane McClellan. Jane, how can they find you again? My website's probably the easiest place, so howtostarvecancer.com. I have details of my online course there, have um, how to get my book as well. You can also get it on Amazon. And I have some Facebook pages, which people will find, uh, How to Starve Cancer on Instagram as well. Um, lots of places you can follow me. Okay. Well, great. Thank you for spending us this time. And uh, we, we're going to bring you one more because we're going to dive into some ferroptosis. So look for that. And yes, that is a Halloween term. It's really not. It just sounds like it. Uh, but you can find me. Of course, I'm Dr. Nathan Goodyear. This is the Practicing with Dr. Nathan Goodyear podcast. You can find me at drgoodyear.com, dr.goodyear Instagram, and wherever you want to look for me on social media, X talking about my my producer's giving me a quick note here thanks you there he's not just showing me his lats <laughs> linkedin x instagram facebook getter true social wherever you want to find me you can find me there and remember our goal here is to give you hope so for those with cancer family with cancer those without hope it forward for more information just like what we discussed today, I encourage you to follow us on YouTube as well as all of your favorite audio streaming platforms. And in there, we'll talk about all things related to healing, wellness, cancer, and much, much beyond because it doesn't just apply to cancer. Our goal here is to turn to healing, restore health, and promote your wellness. Whether that greatest obstacle to wellness being cancer or any other named disease, our goal is your wellness. I'm Dr. Nathan Goodyear, and enjoy our future podcast at Practicing with Dr. Goodyear.